A peddler once was driving by. His cart with fruit was laden high, and as he drove along, he cried across the village green. Lake Effect continues now on Milwaukee Public Radio. I'm Bonnie North, and I'm Mitch Tyke. All summer, Lake Effect is exploring agriculture in southeastern Wisconsin in a series we call Full Plate. Our definition of agriculture is wide. We're talking about everything from backyard gardens to humanely raised and slaughtered meat, from which consumers are buying what kind of produce to the migrant workers who harvest our food. Today we're talking with Christina Ward about home food preservation, from canning to fermenting to dehydrating. Christina is an expert teaching Milwaukeeans how to put food by. Her new book is called Aptly Enough Preservation, and she says that among the many professional hats she wears, there is one that she is particularly proud of. I'm the master food preserver for Milwaukee County. I had a fight with the state to get the accreditation because they didn't believe that a city, an urban area, needed this old rural program of teaching people the safest way to preserve food. Um, but as we all know, is Milwaukee's on the cutting edge of the urban agriculture movement. And so with all the folks with Gorilla Gardens, with the Victory Gardens, with all the garden plots that we have around the city, um, you're going to grow a lot of stuff and you need to figure out how you're going to extend the life of it. And so preservation It's something I grew up doing and I'm really interested in. So I've been teaching it uh, in coordination with the University of Wisconsin, the the Extension Office. That's who's the authorizing body. So I'm the master food preserver, which means I'm a volunteer in my community charged with giving people the latest and greatest science. Wow. I didn't even know that that was like a state job. It's a volunteer job. And it's really it's kind of cool, the history of it, because it comes from that post-Civil War era of the westward expansion and the idea of an old land-grant university. And so people may be more familiar with the Master Gardener program. And again, that's through the extension. The idea is it's an extension of the university, that a university like Madison is taxpayer, has some taxpayer support. And what the university gives back is knowledge. And the extension programs are about that outreach, about sharing that knowledge. And so when you talk about for Master Food Preserver Program, for example, at Wisconsin, uh, they do a lot of the microbiological testing, equipment testing, and then they share that information throughout the country and then with other master food preservers around the country to make sure that, that the science that they did gets out to the people. So talk a little bit about the accreditation that you had to do to get this, which then, of course, led you to write this very extensive book about the preservation of food. So the studying I had to do was, again, it, it's, a, it's an interesting program in the sense that to become a part of it, you have to prove knowledge. So you come in having to have a practical applied knowledge. You have to know how to do it already. And then the university does the further testing and education. So I had to actually take like a written exam. I had to do practicals, which is they give you a recipe and you had to make it correctly with Dr. Barbara Ingram. And she's looking over your shoulder, making sure you're doing it absolutely correctly. And she will absolutely tell you if it's wrong. And so going through that process, you know, gives you that structure and gives you access to the the newest information, which again, we tried to share with everybody. And it, teaching, I love teaching. I love sharing for information. I'm, I'm a firm believer that information is something that wants to be out there. I'm not a fan of kind of that. There's sometimes in food culture you see it with hoarding of information that somebody knows how to do something and they're the only person that knows how to do it. I'm the opposite. So I partnered early on with the Milwaukee Public Schools with the Recreation Department to be able to teach food preservation in all its forms. And that's in the first part of the book. You you describe going into the to the kitchen, which basically was 
a stove and a sink. Yes. There's lots of kitchens, the old home ec kitchens throughout Milwaukee Public Schools and the rec centers. Um, I've been in some fancy kitchens and I've been in the middle of a field Um, with some of the bare requirements of running water or some heat. You can preserve food. And so the idea was to take it down, keep it where it was, where it started, food preservation started, which was a practical skill that you needed to do to stay alive um, and not a gourmet thing. Now, it's fun to do the gourmet stuff and to make things taste really good and do a little experimentation. But at its core, this is a practical life skill that has use today in modernity. Yeah, it's it's a practical life skill. It, it, it's also a science-based skill because you have to understand you know, how microbes work and you have to understand what heat does to things and what pickling does and and all of those chemical processes as well. And that was really the motivation for writing the book because one, there's so much of the high level science out there and I digested that going through, you know, the the Master Food Preserver Training Program as well as my own research. Um, And then there's the kind of folklore. And between the two, it can be difficult to understand and, and scary sometimes. And so I think that the, my idea, it's how I teach people, is to take the science, make those concepts relatively easy to understand. So I don't need you to know formulas to do the canning, but you just need to know what salt and sugar are doing in a chemical sense. And that's easy to understand. And it's also easier to understand when you're actually doing it. It becomes like a physical proof of concept. You get to say, oh, I see the jelly gelling. I know why now. And it also gives you confidence when you're doing it. Well, I think one of the things for those of us who grew up with mothers and grandmothers who canned all summer long, you know, as they as things were coming out of the garden, I can remember my mother standing over big hot things, you know, the boiling water for the for the jars and all of that. I think some of the fear of people who didn't do it themselves is that I'm going to have something explode in my in my pantry because it's got botulism. That is a legitimate fear, and that's what we talk about, where food preservation a little different than actual cooking. If you cook something poorly, you'll burn it. You can't eat it. If you can something poorly, one, you may not know you did it incorrectly if you don't understand what you're doing in the first place. And then the larger ramifications are something like botulism, which you can't see, you can't taste, you can't smell. So doing things correctly, understanding the science behind it and following the correct procedures helps you then prevent that from ever happening. Cases of botulism due to canning, food preservation, are always, always, always because someone did it wrong. And they did it wrong because they either chose to ignore or just didn't understand the science behind it. Take me through a basic simple canning process. You know, let's pick something uh, that's fresh right now. What What's growing right now? The strawberries, strawberries. are almost ready. Okay. Almost ready. So we're going to make strawberry jam, you and me. How do I start? So first of all, wash. That's the first thing. Wash your hands, wash your berries, wash everything. And then believe it or not, take the greens off. I had one heartbreaking call of somebody, you know, oh, my jam, my strawberry jam turned brown and we troubleshoot walk through it and the poor lady, she, she didn't take the green stems off. Take the stems off. Take the green hulls out. So it's a very simple thing. It's a ratio. So you're, to make a basic strawberry jam, four cups of berries, a little bit of lemon juice, which acts as a catalyst, there's your chemical term, um, to help break apart all of the cell walls and that's your heat. You're going to put that into a pot with equal four cups of sugar. Yep, that's a lot. And it's not for sweetening. It's doing a job because sugar absorbs water. 
So again, any type of food preservation is really about erecting barriers against the microbes. It's a race. Who's going to eat the food first, you or the microbes? So sugar takes away water. Microbes need water. And so that essentially extends the life of that food, that strawberry jam. You cook it all up, and the other thing that you can do is you cook it to a point where it becomes thick. That's through evaporation. Again, it's losing its water. Thanks to modern science, we have pectin you can add in. Pectin is a natural fiber. It's the thing that keeps the skin of the fruit together. Fruits that have thick skins have more pectin. Fruits that have thin skins don't have as much. So again, adding a pectin, you bring it up to a boil, it sets, it's jam. So you've got strawberry jam. You could stick it in the fridge and have it last a few weeks. You could put it in the freezer and have it last a few months. Or you could take the next step. You put it in jars and you put it in a hot water boiling canner. And all that means is it's submerged for a prescribed length of time. And after that, it creates, that's the physics of canning. It pushes all the available oxygen out, creates a hermetic seal. Nothing can get in. And there you go. You're one year, one year to 18 months on your pantry shelf. That's it. But you have to also sterilize those jars. Well, sterilization is an interesting kind of term. So when we think about sterilization, we are thinking about grandmothers, you know, and boiling all the jars. Um, what you forget sometimes, again, this is where we have the extension and the universities doing this research, is science marches forward. Hot, soapy water. Hot, soapy water is great. So you don't have to boil your jars. If you wash them in hot, soapy water and rinse them right before you're going to use them, that's great. If you have a dishwasher, even better. Load them up, run the dishwasher cycle, leave them in there hot until you need them. Much easier. Food preservation has been around as long as human beings have been around. And you talk about that with fermentation and dehydration because those are two other ways of preserving food that you touch on. All preservation is really about extension, extending the life of the food, and erecting barriers against germs, against microbes. Um, fermentation, really interesting because essentially you're bacterial farming. What you're doing is attracting good bacteria, good microbes that then drive out the bad ones. Again, when I'm talking to kids about food preservation, the thing to keep in mind is bacteria poop is acid. Yeast poop is alcohol. So if you're making beer or wine, that's weird that the... <laughs> It's the a byproduct. Great, it's that's a great alcohol. image. Yeah. So mm -hmm. and so, really, what we're doing is we're using uh, fermentation is using um, attracting bacteria to create acid to create a high acid environment. Again, microbes are symbiotic to humans. They want the same things we want. So when we create a high acid environment, either through fermentation or pickling, um, what we're doing is we're making the place not a happy home for germs for microbes. Right. And a happy place for the ones that work in our exactly. systems mm -hmm. and, and feed our own biome. Right. And yeah. that's where kombucha is interesting because kombucha is then a, essentially it's both an acid and an alcohol because it's a, the SCOBY, you hear the term SCOBY. It, that's a, both a bacterial and a yeast. And so to come back to this is people have been doing this for time immemorial since we started eating. The question that food scientists and food historians really haven't figured out yet is why did someone start eating it? It's easy to understand how something got left out, you know, Krog, you know, the caveman pot left the fish too long and it started to, to go bad, i.e. ferment. Um, but who decided to eat it? Um, <laughs> the same thing with something really dried out. So the starvation, hunger plays a huge role in food history of how we decided to start eating things. And then who decided it was good? 
Um, there are many foods all around the world that are definitely an acquired taste. Right. And I'm also thinking of putting things together for a long winter. Because here in Wisconsin, we have a long time where things aren't growing, and we have to be able to save food, like you say, extend the life of things. I grew up in New Hampshire, same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have the dried meats, you have the preserved vegetables, preserved fruits, um, and, you know, alcohols if you're making beer or cider that is in the fall when you do the apples. So do you think that that is a large part of of this as well as that we were trying to hold on to things? That is a huge part of it. It also, that discovery, you know, again, thousands and thousands of years ago of something could be dried, something could be fermented and then taken with you was, you know, played a huge role in kind of the exploration age of the world. And that also goes to how people could then live in really harsh climates. Once they figured out, say, you know, Scandinavian countries are a really good example. They have a huge amount of both dried foods and fermented foods. Uh, once they figured that out, how to do that and that they like to eat that, that enabled them to live in climates that did not have a year-round growing season, just like us hardy folks in Wisconsin and from New Hampshire. Yes, who have Scandinavian backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> so again, how and why we eat food and how we prepare it. And so this idea, this, this it's a very modern notion that you can go into a grocery store and buy an apple any day of the year. That is a wholly modern invention. I mean, modern meaning 20th century, really. The idea of refrigerated storage, refrigerated transport, bringing food in from other countries. Right. And and really like mid-20th century. Mid-20th century, yeah. Until yeah. then, if you couldn't grow it or get it in your own very close vicinity and then preserve it, you were out of luck. There are many stories. There's the great Wisconsin historical book called Wisconsin Death Trips, Michael Lazy, 1973. I'm always fond of it because it uh, talks about the area where my grandmother's farm was in that Osseo, Jackson County, Black River And so you hear, using um, newspaper clippings and actual anecdotes, you hear these stories of people surviving the winter and a lot of times not surviving the winter, Um, whether they go cabin fever, stir crazy, or run out of food. Um, it, It was a real thing that happened to people. And so that skill of preserving food was a critical life skill. So here we are in 2017. People seem to be interested in acquiring that skill again. What, what do you think is behind the interest? It seems more and more people want to know how to do this. I think there's a number of uh, reasons people come to food preservation, which to me is always really interesting. So you see a bunch of people who come to, and I'm basing this based on who comes to classes. So there's folks that are wanting to reconnect to their own food history. That's something maybe their grandmother did, they remember seeing, but they themselves never learned how to do it. So they want to reconnect to their personal food history. There's also more awareness about the chemical preservation, the chemicals that go into processed foods, and people are trying to remove those from their, their lives. So going back to an old way, our, you know, this way of food preservation reduces the amount of chemicals that you would need, i.e. none. Um, and so there's folks that do that. There's also people that want to preserve food based on some dietary necessities. So there are so many things like gluten that are just added to everything. So by preserving it yourself, you have a 100% total 
total control over what you're eating. And then there's the economic reasons. If you're growing your own food and then able to preserve your food, you have high quality food, say in the winter or any time of year, that you have 100% control over. And some you know, it gives you some economic stability. Are you seeing people from all walks of life interested in this, different ages, different ethnicities? Absolutely. And that's to me, that's the best part of the Milwaukee Recreation classes. We keep them cheap and cheerful. I always say working classes for the working classes. The idea is you're coming in, you're making stuff, you're learning it, you're taking some things home. And the folks that are coming to those classes, because they are affordable, are everybody from, you know, grandmas trying to relearn the right way, up, updating the science, to we've had teenage girls who are going to start their business their next day after they know how to do it, and from all parts of the city of Milwaukee. My favorite part is when you're talking about food, food's always the equalizer among everybody. Um, I don't care your political background or whatever your ideologies are. When people are talking about food, they're happy, and people love it, talking about their favorite foods and their favorite food memories and, you know, what they're going to make and what they're going to eat and exchanging ideas about what someone else is doing and trying it themselves. That's the best part. It takes you back to your childhood in some cases, too. It does. And that's where I think um, working with food and working together, there's something, there's that power of working as a group. Um, and classes will start, everybody's as naturally, we're all, you know, adult classes. So people come in, they're a little quiet. It's after work, everybody's a little tired. By the end of the couple of hours, if we're doing it right, everybody's giggling and laughing and making bad jokes. And just it's that time we spend together making things, creating something together. I think that empowers us as humans. Making bad jokes and making good food. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have it that way than the other way around. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, much, much happier that way. Well, Christina, it is such a pleasure to see you again, and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. It is called Preservation, the Art and Science of Canning, Fermentation, and Dehydration, and we are so pleased you were able to come in. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Christina Ward is the Master Food Preserver for Milwaukee County and author of the new book, Preservation, the Art and Science of Canning, Fermentation, and Dehydration. She'll be at Boswell Book Company tomorrow night at 7 to talk about the book and to answer questions about the right way to extend the life of your garden's bounty. 